0: Welcome to the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick, tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever.
1: Hey Yuval, welcome to the show. Yo, Brandon, what's up? Hey, good. Baruch haba. Thank you. Todah, man. <laughs> had to get a little Hebrew in there. How is Sion doing? He's good, allergy-free. Oh, the I've poor thing. taking advantage of the, <laughs> <laughs> of the seasons. The God's doing me a favor. Hoping better soon. How is your week going so far? Busy, busy. You know, we
2: had an event this week. We don't go a lot to events, so it was quite good. And
1: uh, a lot of work, growing, hiring, lots of clients coming. So busy, really busy. What are some things keeping you up at night of late? Except for the kids.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, my kids are okay. I'm firstly a father of two. I have two kids, a boy and a girl, eight and six. But they sleep quite tight, so it's mostly work. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, in, in recent years I'm trying to sleep more and trying to to keep a balanced work life balance. But when I'm working late, it's because sometimes it's like product taking, talking to talking to employees, to our guys about product and just trying to find ways to grow and new hacks, new tricks, learning stuff. You need to learn, always learn. It can be from uh, DevOps to marketing to new channels, so it's it's an everyday work. But I am trying to not
1: keep up too late. I'm almost forty. I think it's time to uh, to make some balance work life. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. We were just talking off camera that I, at least I might be going through a midlife crisis, hence the yeah. beard, <laughs> <laughs> and and trying to work smarter. Next not time harder. the
2: Ferrari, they say it's a Ferrari for the midlife.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see I it, it will be a nice yeah, i think uh, i have some of this going on my,
2: my wife says that i have this going on i'm not sure if she's right but i'm going three times to the gym for example in a week and i'm walking the dog every day like one hour in the evening and i'm much th- stronger than i was like 20 years ago and my wife says in your midlife crisis but maybe she's right i don't know
1: Yeah, I like to take the approach now of working smarter, not harder and preserving our energy and using our wise wisdom and age as an advantage, a competitive advantage. More efficient, use our
2: time more efficiently. And you don't need to work until 2 a.m. to do work that you can do in less time and with more thinking and more efficiency that you can do
1: in less time. You come to to realize this when you grow. And I think it's about the time. And it's yeah. interesting that you, and a coincidence, or maybe it's a trending theme that's going around lately, is trying to fit your work into your life versus trying to fit your life around your work. I've spoken to a couple founders in the last few months who realized this either early on or too late, and they were regret that they didn't. Have this understanding earlier on, and I'm sure many people, including myself—not that I'm a founder, but like we, yeah, it's can, not unique we, for founders. Yeah, yeah. But mostly, when you're a founder,
2: if, even if you're just a business owner, it doesn't matter if it's SaaS or technology at all. You can be just just the owner of a owner of a falafel or a burrito stand. But when you manage your own business or you have stakes, then it's really easy quote unquote, to, to dive in and just get too deep and work too late and work your ass off. So this is when you really need the work-life balance. And sometimes when you have a boss, if he's a good one, he will tell you, don't work too late. You're just working yourself out. But if you're a founder, especially if you're a solo premier, which I'm not, then you have only yourself or your co-founder and uh, your co-founder has you. And you need to balance yourself. You don't, You have your family, of course, you have your family. But you're more responsible to yourself when you are a founder to keep the work-life balance.
1: Yeah, and I am really excited and curious to learn from you today uh, about being a bootstrapped founder and having... All these discussions around efficiency, work-life balance, and working smarter, not harder. I think it's all these themes tie nicely into the episode. So I don't know, maybe we can open up the episode with what are some misconceptions about being a bootstrapped company?
2: Firstly, there is a misconception about bootstrappers that they always leave Mm -hmm. on the edge and they're always scrapping for budget. It doesn't have to be like that. We have these days, but if you are efficient with spending, we grew from two to 40 people. It took us time, but most of this growth was not, we are quite veterans. Our business was established and founded in 2007, but most of the growth happened in, in the last two years, since COVID, more or less. You don't need to scrap in order to grow if you do it very efficiently if you go to the right channels, if you consult your peers, if you go to the right communities. For me, it was listening to a lot of podcasts, like yours, for example, which is very good, I have to say. I'm listening to all of these podcasts, and it can be technology, it can be about business and SaaS. And don't be ashamed like to learn and to say to yourself, I'm not per- perfect, and I have a lot to learn. And you learn daily. And if you're open and you learn daily, You learn these hacks and tricks. You don't need to listen to every advice that you hear from any peer or any podcast, but you can have your takeaways and take the ones that are relevant for you. Each business is unique, is has its own signature. It's like DNA, does living creature, every business, in SaaS or in other business. And you need to take takeaways that are relevant for your business, for your DNA. And if you take the right takeaways. And you learn and you're not reluctant to learn new stuff and say, you're not arrogant and you say, I know everything because we were there, we were there. But when you open your head to it and you're listening, then you really start to grow better and uh, you can be more efficient. Don't trying to invent the wheel is not like it doesn't work. I think just to try to scrap every day. So it starts by learning, you know, trial and error is always good. Of a bootstrapper and, and in business in general. in general. But if you listen to, the, to good advice, you can save a lot of time. So this is one advice I can give is like to learn, um, if possible, daily, to learn daily new stuff and, and, and evolve, evolve. It's like uh, a snow, like, like hard snow that you have, like a typhoon, blizzard, and you can't stay foot, you, you freeze. You always need to be in the mood and learn. Same for business, same for SaaS. Same for bootstraps, especially,
1: probably. And, and in terms of misconceptions, are there other things that are like super challenging as a bootstrapped company, other than the lack of funding or less funding or less access to resources? What are some of the other challenges or misconceptions?
2: One challenge, I'm not sure if it's a misconception, but maybe it is. When you have like venture-backed back, venture competitors, for example. It's not, it's not that you need to give up. Sometimes people think that if you're a bootstrapper, you need to go just for some niche and segment your business. Maybe it's a good hack, and we did it, by the way. But sometimes on the same playground, with venture back, we win also. So this is another misconception, I think, just to give up and don't, not starting the fight. But you can, as a bootstrapper, I'm talking like uh, there are other bootstrappers listening of future bootstrappers, you can be on the same thoughts. You can be on the, in the same arena with a venture-backed competitor, company, staff, whatever. Boot. And as a bootstrap, you can give a fight. You can. Sometimes it's a low punch. I am was telling people that we give a low punch because we can do stuff that, that the venture-backed companies, They sometimes they can't do it because we're like a fast, small, fast boat and they're like a Titanic sometimes. Not always, but in general. Maybe as as an 80 20 rule, they are, and you can be faster and you can give the low punch. And sometimes the low punch works. And we did it. Sometimes we take like clients, for example, from our competitors, and some of them are much bigger than us. Sometimes like they have a quarter of a billion dollars funding. And we are as a small 7 figure company. Sometimes we we take clients from these huge
1: ones and you can do it. So can you <clears throat> without necessarily going into like specifics of your industry, like what are some of the <clears throat> go-to-market plays or strategies that allows you to win against much bigger competitors? Is it product market fit? Is it customer service? Your sales process, pricing, messaging? What what is the like a lot advantage? of stuff? Yeah. I mean,
2: a lot of stuff in life, uh, uh, like a lot of answers to a lot of questions. It's not always like one thing, of course. It's always a combination of stuff. A few of the things you said quite spot on. If you have a really good product matter fit, for example, you take a few countries, for example. Just an example. We are a SaaS for hospitality businesses. So we take, for example, e-invoicing, right? Just an example. E-invoicing, and we just work our ass on, on this stuff. And um, this is something that uh, sometimes it's a pain point even for the big ones. So The big dogs, sometimes they have difficulty with this. We just made a lot of interviews with clients and we discovered that this is a pain point even for the biggest companies. You know, even, oh, okay, okay, let's say I did, you know, I mentioned one name which they have hospitality products. So sometimes they have pains also in stuff that you cannot imagine. And if you attack these specifics, that means a lot of Client interviews and learning, and and knowing your industry in order to discover these hacks and to to focus there. But sometimes, for example, some of our competitors, even the rich ones, they don't have a success support by phone. For example, for us, it's the basics. It's not just we have chat, we have WhatsApp, we have a lot of channels, but we still have this old school phone support that people like to call there. So, yeah, we help. Any client like he wants. It can be any channel. And some of them, they like the phone and they tell us, you have a good product. The other one, the other competitor has a good product. You have some stuff they don't have. They have some stuff you, you don't have. I just like to pick up the phone and just call and talk to someone, to a human. So it really, it sounds old school. Some clients, they just move. They just go and remove a product and they start working with us because they heard we have a very superb I customer success and also by Sony. So,
1: you know, this kind of stuff. And that's awesome because it doesn't not like <clears throat> rocket science to give good support. Right. It's just uh, basic, right. uh, yeah. It, it, it requires to invest a bit more in, yeah, in My too. other, my other example of the e- invoicing for example,
2: there, there was very good engineering involved. Yeah. So it can be both. It can be the old school. In two examples, right? That I gave you here. One is old school didn't support with phone. And one is very good engineering, just we don't have 200 engineers like some of our competitors have, but our six guys just think tremendous work. And we did something which is very technological needed, and the market needs it, and it's a pain point. Yeah. So sometimes it's very good
1: engineering, and sometimes it's just plain old logics. You know, it's great. Yeah. And being a having an acute attention to your customer and listening to them doing customer research, it goes to show that doing the basics can give you a competitive advantage over the bigger guys that maybe take things for granted or just overlook the small details. Yeah, the word that you said is the basics because
2: we have competitors that are trying a lot of verticals, for example. We have a few verticals. And we have a good, quite big marketplace with a lot of extras. So clients can just take another product and use, we have APIs and it's connected. So they have a way to complete some gaps using a marketplace. And some of our competitors, they have a lot of verticals in the product, which is in one hand, it's good, but in another hand, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to maintain all of the verticals. And you need a lot of engineers in different different types of engineers. And it's a lot of spending, first of all. And secondly, they are not focused sometimes on one vertical, which is very good. They have a lot of verticals, which they are mediocre in, in, in a lot of. So sometimes when you're bigger, you're not necessarily focused and you're not necessarily very great in one vertical. And you can be just mediocre in a lot of verticals. So this is one was another mistake that I see venture-backed companies do, you know. We are very good in, in our three verticals, and we have a very good marketplace to complete the rest of the stuff. And some of our competitors, they're just mediocre in a lot of verticals. Have your pick. So we have good competitors, and there are some good companies out there, but a lot of them
1: fall there. They have trouble there. And I I apologize. We should have given you a few minutes to introduce yourself to the audience and just share your background and how you got into being a founder and how you got into the business that you're in right now. Maybe just give us like a sixty seconds, two minutes elevator
2: (laughs) intro. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. We're a staff for hospitality, mostly hotels and guest houses, vacation rentals. They run their business with our staff, A to Z, really um, all in one suite. Reception and invoicing and connection to travel agents, like booking, Airbnb, etc. This is it in a nutshell. And me, myself, I'm almost 40 years old. And in 2007, I, and my dad actually, me and my dad, both of us founded the business. My dad is, is a veteran engineer. He was a CTO in companies. And in 2006, while working in another a company, He was just playing around, building this product. He thought it would be just for B&Bs, like a SaaS for B&Bs. There was no word as SaaS back then. He <laughs> was just, he thought it would be a program, a software for B&Bs, but we ended up joining him in 2007 we had, when he had the MVP ready. Uh, and... It turned out that this product is very good. So, small hotels as well, and vacation rentals. And we grew from there. We were just two, you know, and we took the Israeli market first, mostly the small to medium hotels and uh, guest houses and vacation rentals. And we grew step by step until what we are today. We work today, we work in 60 plus countries. We have 1,200 clients working, and we have almost 40 employees right now. And, uh, yeah, and we had a big change during COVID actually. Our clients are the hotels, right? It's not, it's B2B, it's not the, uh, the consumers. It's not the guests. Got you. It's the, um, for example, the receptionists, they use it to make check-ins, check-outs, the invoices. We connect the hotel to, his, to its own website. For example, we connect the hotel to booking.com, to Airbnb, to Hostelboard, Expedia, like hundreds of sites. And then what they have is like a single point, only in one suite. They work in one place. They don't need to go to Booking.com, for example, to update their availability or pricing. They don't need to go to Airbnb and do the same. And then to host the world and do the same, et cetera, et cetera. Airbnb. And to their own calendar to make the when they make a reservation. It's automatically closes the availability in all of this cycle, all of these sites all together. And they make the invoice for the guest and they make a self check in. So it's all in one suite to run the hotel, essentially. Awesome. It's a B2B. It's a classic SaaS B2B, what we have. How for... did you get your first 10 customers? The first client, I was a student back then. The first client before I joined my dad, my dad just gave it free to one BNB bed and breakfast, and just say, try it. And then the other one just heard about it somehow and he got in, paid us. And then I joined my dad to help out with customer success back then. Later on with IT, because did a Microsoft course. So IT and cloud and that kind of stuff. And we had a seller, which was a contracted seller. He wasn't an employee, but he was very good. And him, me and him, we just did, I did myself some sales. Even my dad made a few sales, but essentially it was the seller and me making most of the sales. And we grew to be like... Number one in Israel, I think maybe in the segment, like not for the five stars or the four stars, but for the up to 60 unit, up to 60 rooms, hotels, I think in two or three years, we became market leaders for this specific segment in Israel. It was quote unquote easy because there was... Substantial and superb blue ocean. It was a blue ocean in this segment. It was amazing. The standard, he called it like a field of gold and you just need to go and grab the gold because it was funny how easy it was. And we had a good product because my father is like, is a genius engineer. He's a tremendous backend engineer, architect of software. He very, he's very tremendous in his work and he's known also here. In the business, in the front end, we lacked a little bit, but we compensated later about the front end, but we had the killer product and the good seller and the good customer success and good IT. So we have two or three people later we switched the seller, but just me and my dad, I did, I was quite good in sales. Also in marketing, I'm a generalist myself. So. Between him and me, we were like an ecosystem. <laughs> me and my dad, I like an ecosystem. Robin. You know, I'm always telling him a joke that if we had a financial issue and our competitor, this, these big dogs, they have a, an issue, we just can sit with that underwear and just both of us inspire everybody and we're still going on because he's an engineer. I'm making the customer success. I'm making the cloud and some DevOps and we are just, we're... Just creating it somehow, and we are an ecosystem of two people. So <laughs> we are, and we are. It's funny, but yeah, of course now it's harder because we have an engineer which is very good in front end, and we have a lot of functions and marketing, of course. But if you take few years ago, this joke was not quite realistic. If you take a few years back, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's very nice.
1: And yeah. then, like, yeah. we are hands on. We are hands on since day one. So <laughs> it's interesting that you said that you lacked in front and... Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's the word. Epi- design, peel, epi- peel mostly and design. And, ex- and, yeah, yeah, and that, not- as they call it here. It, I- yeah, but they say there's the
2: saying that you must be ashamed of your first MVP, etc. So it's all the, these
1: those cliches are as mostly real. Would you yeah. say it still yeah. is like that today? Do people not buy with their eyes more today than maybe they did when you first started more than a decade ago? It's a very good question, Brenton. I think that because I'm in the business so much long, I can tell you it's.
2: It, you're right. People buy with their eyes more than they used to. Um, they are more picky. There are no. There are more competitors. There's Captera and G two, and you can see all the alternatives, and uh, you. Like the dating world, <laughs> I'm old-school in both things. I'm old-school. There are a lot of options and uh, yeah, design is important. And this is why after working with, let's say a legacy tech stack, we, during COVID, we had a lot of time. This can be another conversation if you like, but during COVID, we had another, a, a lot of time and we evolved and then we had more engineers. So we could make like changing the stack and moving to the cloud and migrating. And we did it very smart, like we kept the same database and our clients that are using the older product, they can still work in parallel, they can work in in both products. This is very rare in the business, in any SaaS business, going from legacy to cloud and to browser. We're working with browser right now. We don't sell... For a few years now we don't sell any legacy product any of the older design only browser and the we have a, an app play store app store and we very much care for the design yeah like any SaaS, we always aspire for more but it looks very good right now i think and and it's very important for the clients to see browser today you can't you can go with something that is not on browser today and yeah you need good design because people sometimes The first impression is very important and we must
1: be aware of this. We can't uh, neglect this, this thing. And you speak, you spoke of COVID, so how did the companies survive COVID and are there any lessons learned from COVID that you're applying now in this current recession? COVID for any travel business and any travel tech business was horrific
2: because travel was one of the things that were hit the most and hit first. And any closure, it's the first hit. And we dropped Like a lot of travel tech businesses and travel businesses in general, we dropped like 50% in revenue during that time. And all in all, on average, 40 to 50% less in revenue. But we had the luck because we were working in Israel for a few years and then in in Latam, like in Argentina, for example, a lot. But during the time, we, we accumulated some other regions and clients from other regions. So if there was a closure in, I don't know, in Israel and there was not in Argentina and then it was... The other way around, so we had some revenue going on, (laughs) Iceland was open. So we were lucky to diverse in the regions. So this is what, this was a good thing. And secondly, and this is like cycling back to the other topic we talked, because we're a bootstrap, because we're a family, because we are an ecosystem, (laughs) two plus people in the core, then the abilities and capabilities, then we could like And we have employees that are with us for 10 years. So we could be like a team of ninjas. And so we could scrap it and put our heads down. Uh, But then there was the boredom, no travel, and you're at home. And what should we do? Just don't have anything to do. So this was like, I'm not sure was a savior for the company, but maybe it was because I'm not sure if we would plateau, if we wouldn't have, if it wouldn't before the COVID, I don't know, but we use the COVID very smartly and we used it for building. I do a lot of product managing work and I, I, me and the team and my dad and everyone, all the engineers, we sat down and all the product managers, we sat down and everybody else they wanted. We sat down everybody and just talked about product, took the clients. We have their sana with all those tickets and all those requests from the clients from a few dozens of countries. And we just sat down and filtered and just worked on the work and build and build and engineered and build workflows and, and engineered some more and migrated to cloud some stuff that we were waiting to be migrated. And the product was, was very much improved during that time in a way that I'm not sure the everyday lies in every business and especially in a bootstrap SaaS is very, uh, very tense. This was a very good time to just stop and build and build. And I think the COVID just made us better. And we also came up with a new strategy in business. So it was a tech and business. It's not a pivot, I would say, but it's a mini pivot for us. And we, we came stronger and better from the COVID and looking back, maybe the business would have looked different if we, if it weren't for the COVID, so. Yeah, maybe save the business. I don't know. I didn't feel that we are in trouble or something. I just feel that looking back, probably we would plateau if we didn't have this time just to build and build because we are so busy and hectic, hectic daily work.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating to me how just getting out of the operational grind and taking time out to think and digest and work on the business versus in the business can change the trajectory of the business for the better. You need time to be creative. You need a bit of like quiet and internal analysis. And that doesn't happen when you're in the daily grind. And it, I don't think it's specific to like businesses. It, it can happen to individuals, to creatives, whatever line of work you're in, if you're a creator, I think the best thing you can do for inspiration, you need some time to think. Take time out of your day or your month or your quarter to do some deep thinking. You're right. And some of the biggest ideas that I had, I still have, are during gym, for example,
2: during training and walking with my dog. And when it was COVID, I had a lot of runs and I had a lot of walking with the dog and a lot of time out in the nature. I live, I have the luck to live in the countryside in Israel. Was One of the best moves, one of the best decisions of my life, 10 years ago exactly, when me and my wife moved to the Galilee in Israel, in the north of Israel, it's the, uh, it's just two hours drive from Tel Aviv, but it's another world out here, it's nature. I was walking with my dog and just running a few kilometers every day, and best ideas are when you're just like you say, digesting and thinking and I, for me, it was like hearing podcasts and hearing a lot of new hacks, tricks and how to grow the business and new marketing ideas. And sometimes in the same day or the day after I would try, I would call my VP of marketing, for example, and let's try this one. Let's try A-B testing, A-B testing. Let's try, it. I heard about it. Let's try A-B testing. Just for an example, you grow when you just take some time out, as you say, and still, even if there is no COVID. Still, a lot of the best ideas you can get when you're just winding it down and going to the gym and going for a walk. But in doing COVID, I learned about it. I learned to listen more and just to digest more, like you say. So COVID was a was life changer, I think, for a lot of tech companies and for me, too. And it's not a cliche. It's really it learned me. It, it taught me how to think more and to listen more, I think. COVID helped me also individually, to, to me, personally, to me. Not on. Also to the company, so it's maybe it's a life changer in the
1: COVID for some people. And how is the recession compared to COVID? How has it affected your business? And have you applied similar learnings from COVID to this recession? If you are being affected by the recession,
2: not so much in the personal level. Some like a lot of people, you're into the savings or stocks or whatever. But if I'm just looking at the business. Actually, the travel business and specifically the travel tech business also you can see in LinkedIn. If you see like rounds in funding rounds, you can still see travel tech businesses being funding, funding rounds and taking new rounds. And uh, you can see travel in general is booming. And I think it will not it's not affected right now like the other businesses. And there is one very simple reason for it. I will tell you a secret, Brenton. You wanna hear a secret? I love surprises and (laughs) people love to travel. They love to go to hotels. They love to go to vacation rentals and to guest houses. It's not like maybe 100 years ago they can't afford it,
1: is what you're saying. They will go. Yeah, people are
2: taking, I hear about it, people are taking loans and going to vacations. And people, not only because of their revenge travel, if you heard about that term. But also afterwards, and you can see it, you can see it in the funding rounds of the travel tech companies, just one symptom, just one result of it. But you can see that people like to travel and it's part of life. It's not something, it's not an expert to life. I heard a lot about it recently, also in podcasts. It's not like an expert to life. It's something that is embedded in life. It's basic, it's a basic needs. People, People talk about travel as a basic need. Like every person, which even if it's, if he's not a rich guy, if they are not rich, any family, they want to wind down and take like at least one vacation per year. Sometimes people take 10 vacations, you know, but people love to travel and take vacations and rest. And this will not change because it's in human nature. People love it. And because it's so basic today, then everything evolving travel, which is also travel tech, is is always there and it will be there. Even if... All humanity will be robots and chat gpts <laughs> like in satisfying movies, <laughs> still people would want to go to vacations. You agree with me, Jay? You agree with me, Brandon, or, I mean, about that point? Or maybe you disagree, I don't
1: know. You're talking to a guy who lived in four different countries, so you don't need to be preaching to the choir, as they say. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah basically.
1: I love traveling. I've... Done, I don't know, maybe 30 countries. I would love to do every single country in my lifetime. I've slowed down a little bit since COVID and like other family responsibilities, but I hope to get back on the travel horse soon. So you dig me, right? You dig passion, the passion for travel. People love
2: it. And because they love it, then everything evolving, like hospitality and travel, will always be there. Because the humanity grows, then the travel also grows. There is no way to stop travel, even if there is the recession. People just wanna go. To vacations and travel.
1: And, uh, Nothing will stop it. You, Nothing will Are move. you planning to have your software deployed in Mars with a Starship? <laughs> First, we have good business here on Earth. But part of the so it's a good idea. It's a good idea, Brendan. You <laughs> can add it to, <laughs> we'll the, think about to it. the next 10 year yeah. roadmap. We
2: need, we'll think tank. <laughs>
1: yeah. As we kind of wrap up here today, I thought maybe we could close out with hiring as a bootstrap company what have been some of the learnings patterns tricks techniques I don't know gut feelings that you've developed over time in making great hires because you mentioned you have some employees that have been with you for 10 years so you must be really picking your employees really well or what what's the secret yeah firstly because you're a bootstrap
2: you can't you can't go and use the same Torah, the same rules that the big dogs use and the big corporates use. And you need to adapt. Firstly, it's hearing a lot of other peers and hearing and reading a lot about it. You, if you just improvise, I think, as the bootstrapper, you will hit the wall. You can you can compete with the big dogs there. So what can you what you can do when you hire? Firstly, you really need to, to do a good pick you need to do a picks when you hire and more junior hiring of course and when you make a junior hiring you need to have the right script and you need to have the right test and you need to because of oh, the budget is crappy you need to have a certain pilot that is really a segmented and when it starts when it ends and, and and sometimes good advice it worked i don't know i think everybody can make it a takeaway or not But for me, a good hack is hiring clients, for example. For me, it it was a good trick and it worked because clients, especially smart ones that are good and and they love your software and they know it's very good, it it saves, firstly, it's good because they love it and they know it already. So it saves you some time to filter the people if they are going to be good at it or not. They're already good at it. The person, if he's like your client for some time, so... It's another filter for the interview, etc., cetera, et cetera, Basically, for me, it worked to take clients and the clients that want to change in life and they want to maybe do customer support or they want to be in marketing or it can be anything just to offer them. Maybe you can come work with us for us. And sometimes they love it and it's a good fit. And we, when it works great for us, it worked great during the years and And yeah, and when you hire engineers and uh, more high paid roles, then yeah, for us as Bootstrap, it was mostly taking juniors and, and having a very good test to really filter the very good ones and keeping them and keeping them. And we have some engineers that became seniors while working with us. And we are very lucky. Also, you need some luck because we have lots of, we have a few like very genius Engineers in our team. And uh, yeah, I think in hiring, we are quite good in hiring. If you like to hear some hiring stories, I can also share with you because, yeah, it's a thing for us. We are quite good with hiring. And you need to be good. You need to be, as a bootstrapper, you don't have a lot of another choice. You don't have a choice. You must be good in hiring. Other
1: way, just waste time and sp- your spending. So maybe give us one more trick that other than the hiring your clients that's a great one i think that's i haven't heard it too much but i've heard it here and there and it makes total sense if it works it sounds like a awesome way to hire what other insight i think i think
2: it would yeah a good insight for bootstraps specifically in my opinion is and it's related to the other key thing that i told you before hiring In USA, for example, for us, it's typically very difficult, impossible, especially engineer roles. And I think for a lot of bootstrappers, like if they want a bigger team, I'm not saying it's just as the rule and U.S. engineers and Israeli engineers are, are great, but I'm just being realistic. If you're a bootstrap and you can hire a few engineers versus one engineer in USA, for example and you can have a few in another location in the world, then it's a win-win. It's a win for these guys. They get a good job. They get a good pay. And it's good for the company. And it's good for the clients. And uh, you can afford it. And then you have a good team. If you're hiring good, and for us, we have three offices in the world. We have Israel, and we have Argentina, and we have Serbia. So our most of our employees, we have only six employees in Israel, and the rest are in Argentina and in Serbia. We are almost 40 people today. We have a local entity in every, in in every country. But even if you don't have and you just start with Upwork or Fiverr or whatever, and later on you can ramp up, it's still a good it's still a good uh, way to do it. Hiring abroad and in countries where you can afford it. And I think just trying to compete with venture back companies on hiring, it's not realistic when you're a bootstrap. I'm not talking about Mailchimp, which is a 12 billion dollar exit bootstrap. <laughs> there are those bootstraps, but mostly, if you take the 80-20 rule, I think most of the bootstraps would love to hire more in another country, in another location, and I think it's it's a good it's a good rule, and it always worked for us.
1: And it's a win-win. And I think they're yeah. excellent engineers, to my knowledge, from both experienced and also just from speaking with other founders in South America, in Serbia, Romania, Ukraine. Right. Um, Ukraine uh, are great. They're, they're yeah. great developers around the world. You just need to expose yourself. I think there's just a, I don't know, a stigma that only the best years come from Israel. But <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> no. sometimes Eastern European yeah. countries get bucketed into that as well. But the other countries like Mexico and Argentina and, everywhere. and Brazil, they, they get left out of the picture.
2: Yeah. And you talked about misconceptions when we started the interview. So one misconception is this. And we have in Argentina, for example, genius engineers. And another misconception is that people think, okay, you have a bootstrap. You have these in Argentina or in Serbia. It Probably it's outsourcing. No, it's not outsourcing. For us, for example, we open entities, we open companies in this country. We have an accountant, we have a bank account, we have local people. And this makes, really, it makes it really easier to hire locally. And of course, we insist that they know very good English so we can interact. But there are smart people, not just engineers, there are smart people everywhere in the world. Don't, this is a misconception, again, there are smart people everywhere. And you just need to look. You just need to be open-minded. And if you're open-minded and given you give a chance, then you can discover very smart people, not only in engineering, in all teams, all across the board.
1: You can find really smart people everywhere. We forgot to mention India. Like, how big a player is India, like, in the bootstrapped environments? Yeah, of course. We don't have experience specifically with India, but I hear a lot of
2: stories, and I have a lot of peers, and uh, in India, there are a lot of places in the world, and I uh, don't rule out any. Just be open-minded to to hear and interview people. And sometimes when people bug you on LinkedIn,
1: yeah, sometimes it's spam, and sometimes good people that they're just waiting for their chance. So yeah, be open-minded. Awesome, Yuval. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. A fascinating topic, Me too, and I'm glad I had the privilege to to speak with you before we we wrap up here. Is there anything you would like to add that we may have not covered up until now? No,
2: just that if some other bootstrappers or future bootstrappers hear us, I think it's a good learning. What we talked about as your good learnings and try to be open-minded to, to hiring in the world and not just in your in US, for example. And uh, just, you just know that you can do it, you can do it. And you can compete even in the arena with the big
1: dogs. Just a bit of confidence and just to think out of the box. Just think David and Goliath whenever you have doubt. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) Thank you again so much for your time. If anyone would like to connect with you, pick your brain a bit more on this topic or just simply curious about being a customer. Where's the best Super place good. for people to connect with you mostly? Yeah, find on LinkedIn. Yeah. Awesome, we'll add that in the show notes. So thanks Yuval, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Brendan. thank you very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack podcast with Brendan Rod, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share the channel and ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with Our Conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.